As a young boy, I lived in Carrollton, and my dad uh, owned a store. I was thinking about this yesterday. My dad had a birthday yesterday, and I was remembering some things just uh, about my life growing up with my dad, and one of the things that I remember was a store that he had. It was called the Handbag Store. Any of you guys remember the Handbag Store here in Carrollton? Anybody? My wife did. My wife was a little girl, and she actually went into the store. If you're familiar with Josie Lane right here, if you go north, uh, south on it, there's a little shopping center called uh, Josie Ranch Shopping Center. Well, when it was built, our store was one of the first ones in there. You might think as a young boy growing up and your dad owning a handbag store was kind of interesting at times, explaining that one. Uh, but my dad did, and it provided food for us for Man, almost 20 years. Uh, it was amazing. But one of the things that, that I grew up around is uh, we would have a lot of bags in, in our house at times. And so many times at, after school or at night, uh, me and my twin brother and my two older sisters, uh, we would be stuffing handbags. So I became very familiar with like Louis Vuitton and Dooney and Burke, all right? I'll impress you with that this morning, and that's about it. Uh, but I knew what those were. And so we would do that. And then uh, my dad also had stores that he would place items in for consignment. I knew what like Dallas Marketplace was. I knew all this. I knew way too much for, for a little kid when it came down to that kind of world. And so we would drive to like these little shops like all over the place in, in North Texas, out in East, and sometimes West. And we'd go to these little shops and we'd place handbags in these shops. But one of the things I remember about it wasn't the handbags, of course. But the one thing I did remember about it was what we would listen to in the car. And we would listen to... Uh, AM radio, 820 WBAP. And as a little kid, I was like, good night, this is ridiculous, you know? And every now and then there'd be a Ranger game on, and so it was exciting. Uh, but, but there was one thing that I constantly remember that, that stuck out, and, and that I'll, I will never forget, and I always equate this with, with my dad, was there was two times a day where a gentleman would come on and he would tell a story. And then after he would tell a story, there would be a commercial break. But what was interesting about that commercial break is it would always break up a story. And the commercial break would become, and I remember as a little kid, I would sit there and think to myself, well, that's not cool. The story just ended. But then after the commercial break, he would come back on, the same guy, and he would say, now, the rest of the story. Paul Harvey. And some of you guys, even uh, if you're younger than me, some of you guys might, might have done that. Listen to it. Definitely if you're older than me, you, you, you jive, you're with me. Uh, but Paul Harvey was, was a big radio figure, and he would tell stories, really cool stories. And then he would kind of leave you hanging at the commercial break. And, and then that would be it until he came back on and say, now the rest of the story. And as we look at today's text, that's really what we see here. We're going to see people from a gentleman by the name of Apollos to these 12 disciples in Ephesus. And, and they, they know part of the story, but, but it stopped. And they haven't heard the rest of the story. And as I think of our world, and I think of even the area we live in, we, we have many people with many parts of the story of God that they know maybe about the law of God in the Old Testament. 
They have different understanding of what Scripture might say, maybe false understanding, maybe false beliefs, and they may even have different bits of pieces of Jesus. Yeah, he came as a baby at Christmas, and they, they know different parts of the story, but do they know the rest of the story? Do they know the whole complete story of the gospel? And what about us this morning? Do we know the truth of this gospel? Do we know the rest of the story? And there were those in Ephesus lacking that. So what I want us to hear this morning, three, three truths that I would love for us to walk away with is this. One, simply the truth of the gospel. Second, the truth of the Holy Spirit. And then, and then third, um, how both those truths are to be witnessed through the church. How the church is to embody those two things, the truth of the gospel, the truth of the Holy Spirit, how it impacts us, the Holy Spirit does, and that the church would be witnesses of those truths. And we see that in today's text, and it's happening in Ephesus. Paul has been traveling. He was in Ephesus with a cup, or in Corinth, excuse me, with Priscilla and Aquila. They travel to Ephesus. He lives, leaves Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. Paul then goes back to the planting church, which is Antioch, that has been sending him uh, all over the world. And then Paul is, is going to take off, and he's going to go to a Galatian area, which includes churches like Laodicea and other churches, and he's going to go and strengthen the disciples. And then what Luke is going to do, the writer of Acts, is he's going to kind of push the pause button on Paul, and he's going to start talking about specifically Ephesus and what God, through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, is going to do in Ephesus. And he's going to release the pause button just a little bit on Paul, and he's going to show up again in Ephesus. But until then, Paul's kind of out of the picture just for a little bit. And so that's where we pick up this morning. And the first truth I want us to see is the truth of the gospel and how it is desperately needed in our world. The world needs the rest of the story. It needs the rest of the story. And so look what happens in, in verse 24 this morning. It says, a Jew named Apollos an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. And so we have this gentleman by the name of Apollos. He appears here in Acts. He'll also appear in 1 Corinthians as well. And Apollos was a Jew. He was born in Alexandria, which is in Egypt, and it had a heavy Jewish population. He was raised up in the Jewish principles, and he was highly educated. He was an, an intelligent man. He was also eloquent, meaning this. He was a great communicator, and his content was great as well. But it also says about him at the end of verse 24 that he was mighty in the Scriptures. We read that, and we're thinking, wow, cool. And that'd be really neat to, to have that said about me, right? If, if we were mighty in the scriptures, meaning he was diligent in his study of the Old Testament specifically, and he knew it very well, and he could communicate it well also. And then look at verse 25. It says, this man, Apollos, had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of of John, speaking of John the Baptist. And, and so what does it say about Apollos next? He was instructed. That word instructed is the word catechized. Uh, what does it make us think of? Catechism. Some of us in here, uh, when we grew up in maybe certain churches, we were instructed in the form of catechism, which is where you ask a question, and then uh, there's an answer, specific that answer that is given, specifically like, something like this, where you say, who, who made the world? 
And then the answer would be, well, God did. And so that's a simple catechism, and then you just repeat it. Um, and you do it often. Um, and so that's how Apollos was taught. He was taught in that form in the, the way of the Old Testament. And specifically, it says in verse 25, it says he uh, was instructed in the way of the Lord. What does that phrase mean, the way of the Lord? Because we could just pass by that and be like, okay, cool. But what does that mean? If you follow that phrase back, all the way back to Genesis 18, we see it mentioned there in verse 19. And God is speaking to Abraham. He's visited him and Sarah there. And listen to what God says to Abraham. And he says this, For I have chosen him, speaking of Abraham, so that he may command his children and even his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. By doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And so what is the way of the Lord? We see it used in the Old Testament. It's this broad term to speak of the Old Testament instruction in the things of God, in his law, and his ways. Specifically when it comes to morality, when it comes to living rightly, to obeying uh, the law of God. And so when you think of the way of the Lord, it's a broad term, but it includes this idea of right living, of living according to to God's commands and obeying his commands. As you follow the Old Testament to the New Testament, this term gets used as well. And as it does, the way of the Lord literally zeroes down to one. And it zeroes down to the Messiah. It zeroes down, it narrows down to Jesus Christ. And so it's broad in the Old Testament to this idea of following God's commands, living morally, living rightly, and then it narrows down to this idea of zeroing in on Jesus, the Messiah. Now, how does it do that? Listen to, to Matthew chapter 3, 1 through 3. It says, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. And then John, when he sees Jesus, he will point out that he is the one. Behold, the one, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then later, John will baptize Jesus. And so Apollos, when we think of Apollos here, that he was instructed in the way of the Lord, what was he taught? He was taught this. He was taught everything up to the fulfillment of John the Baptist pointing to the Messiah and even the Messiah coming to be the one who would take away the sin of the world. But then it stops there. It's the commercial break for, for Apollos. It, it, it stopped there. So we gather from this, he, he knew that knowledge up into that point about John and pointing to Jesus and beholding the one who takes away the sin of the world. But then the idea of the cross the idea of the resurrection, even the idea of the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost, wasn't there for Apollos. It wasn't present. He lacked the knowledge of the significance of the cross, the significance of the resurrection of Jesus, and the significance of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so what was he acquainted with? It tells us at the end of verse 25, he was acquainted only with the baptism of John the Baptist. And so what does that mean? Does it mean he was acquainted with the teaching of John, with repentance, yes, which is great, but he lacked the knowledge of the cross, lacked the knowledge of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And so he was baptized, literally water baptism, but he was identified with John and his teaching. And so it's, it's baptism of anticipation, but not baptism of fulfillment. And so he was a good Old Testament saint, that what we, what we would call uh, Apollos. But, but the kingdom of God, the, the age of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, has come. And so the truth of the cross and the resurrection, it has happened, but he did not know about it and the impact of it. And so as we learn about Apollos here, he knew all that, but he lacked that. He missed the truth about the cross and the resurrection. So it says here, he was fervent in spirit. He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. So he was teaching everything he knew about Jesus exactly, accurately, and with enthusiastic enthusiasm, passionately, he would teach those things. But then look at verse 26. As he comes to the synagogue, it says, Apollos began speaking out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him speak, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And so here's Apollos in the synagogue, and he's speaking passionately about everything that he knows, eloquently. And then Priscilla and Aquila come to him. They take him to the side. Probably privately, many believe they probably invited him to to their house, probably had some dinner, a meal with him, and probably lovingly cared for him and said, hey, listen, you are are doing a great job. Your, Your communication is great, but something is lacking. You're missing an important link. And so what do they do? They, they show him accurately the way of God, more accurately. So what does that mean? They explain to him, no doubt this seems to mean, they explain to him the truth of the cross, the, the, the power of the resurrection, and even the power of the Holy Spirit coming of the day of Pentecost and what that means for us. And that that is our hope. And so what we believe right here, many believe, is that Apollos right here experiences conversion, a born-again experience where he turns to faith in Christ. We don't see that mentioned here, but it seems evident that that is his turning point as they share with him the truth of the gospel. They share with him the rest of the story. And many today, they have bits and pieces. They might know the law. They might know, hey, I'm to live good. They might have a different understanding of, of everything. They might have a different, obviously, religion, different thought about life, but, but have they heard the rest of the story? Have they heard the truth of the gospel, the power of the cross, the power of the resurrection to save us, and ultimately the power of the Holy Spirit? The world needs it. The world needs it taught accurately. We need it as a church. We need to remember constantly the cross, the resurrection. It's our hope. And then look what happens next. Not only the truth of the gospel needs to be known needs to be shared, but also the Holy Spirit, the truth of the Holy Spirit taught accurately. And look at what happens next is Ephesus is still the theme. Apollos is going to kind of slide out uh, the door to the left. He's going to go to Corinth. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila and the church are going to send him off, and he is going to teach the disciples. We'll hear more about that in a second. There in Corinth, showing evidence that, that he knows the hope and the truth of the resurrection and the cross. He knows it, and he's believed in Christ. But look what happens next, the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 1. It says, It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country, and he came to Ephesus and found some disciples there. 
He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said back to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And so we see here in Ephesus a presence of those who have heard the story up until John. And John pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. But, but it seems to have stopped with those as it did with Apollos. And even these disciples here, as verse 7 will tell us, there is 12. And so Paul encounters these disciples. And they were disciples not of Jesus, but they were disciples of John the Baptist. They understood that he had pointed to the Messiah, but they did not understand again the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, nor the coming of the Holy Spirit, as we see with how they respond. But look at these two questions here. They, they kind of help us in understanding um, the truth about the Holy Spirit that, that, that was lacking. And the first question that is asked here uh, by Paul is, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And their response was simply, no, we have not heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And so what do we know about the Holy Spirit? I mean, that could take us weeks and months, a year, years to literally unfold all that is spoken about the Holy Spirit in God's Word. But this morning, in light of this, I want to share with you a few truths from a few different scriptures that are helpful to help us understand. And so listen to this in Ezekiel 36, verse 26. When we think about the Holy Spirit and and the truth and how it impacts our lives, listen to what God says to the prophet Ezekiel. He's speaking about the new covenant that is to come. Uh, Remember, the new covenant is about mercy. It's about love. It's about grace. It's about Jesus Christ. He was sitting with his disciples when he took the bread and the cup, and he said, this drink is the drink of the new covenant. And so what was it representing? It, It represented him. He was the new covenant. He came to bring grace and love and mercy so that that we who were dead in our hearts could be made alive again. And so listen to what he says to Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 36, verse 26, Moreover, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What is God telling Ezekiel? I'm going to give people a new heart. I'm going to make them alive. They who are spiritually dead, they're going to be born again to life eternal, to spiritual life. And so my question would be, how how will this happen? And I think we just kind of follow the path through Scripture. Listen to John chapter 14, 16 through 17. Listen to what Jesus says, speaking to his disciples about the Holy Spirit. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, capital H, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. And so who is he talking about? He's talking about the person of the Holy Spirit, the helper who has come. And he will be with the disciples forever. And he's the spirit of truth. Yet the world cannot receive because it does not see him nor know him. But listen to what he says to his disciples. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. And so at that time, Jesus was saying, the Holy Spirit is abiding. He remains, to, he remains with you. He, he is near you. But there is going to be a day where the Holy Spirit dwells in mankind, in those who receive Jesus. And they're going to have life. They're going to have new hearts. And then look what Jesus says in John 7, 
about the Spirit. In verse 37 through 39, it says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now, Jesus wasn't talking about physical drink. He was using it metaphorically here to talk about the spiritual life. And he says, if your soul is thirsty, if your soul is spiritually dry in a desert, let him come to me, let him drink. And then he says, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Where there was no water before, there's no rivers of life before, there is now going to be rivers of living water. And he says to him, but this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in Jesus were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. You see, Jesus, after his resurrection, he will spend 40 days with his disciples here on earth, and then he will ascend into heaven, where he now is exalted above all. He reigns as king of heaven and earth. And and it is after that time that the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, and so Jesus is referring to that here. That at that time, the Holy Spirit will come and indwell in the lives of those who have received Jesus as their Savior. And lastly, listen to this text in Romans 8 9. Paul says this about the Holy Spirit. He says, however, you who have received the Spirit of God are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit now. You have the, the life of the Spirit in you, living in you. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Jesus. And so what does all of that mean? Simply put, because this was knowledge that these disciples of John lacked. They didn't understand it. And simply put is this. Those who believe in Jesus, who have received Christ, they have the Holy Spirit living in them. At the moment of receiving Christ as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit makes them alive with living waters. They now have spiritual life where before they were dead. But now the Holy Spirit has made them alive. In Jesus Christ. But those who have not believed in Christ, obviously, according to this text here, they do not hold, have the Holy Spirit. And so these disciples at this time, they knew a lot of truth, but they did not have the Holy Spirit, and therefore were not believers in Christ. Now, many, when they look at this scripture about the Holy Spirit, and, and, and they think that, that sometimes. The Holy, there's different degrees of the Holy Spirit that is given to people. Some people teach that and believe that. That is not true. That is not accurate. When one comes to that moment of faith and believe in Christ, it's not that, you know, Dan over here, he gets like 90% of the Holy Spirit. I'm getting 50, right? Kevin, you know, he's getting 99 because he's a, you know, above average in every way. You know, it, it, there's nothing like that. It, when one receives Christ, you get the fullness of who he is. The fullness of the Spirit. All of us are filled up with the Holy Spirit. No differing degrees. And so if we connect the dots all the way back to what's happening here when Paul is ministering in Ephesus, uh, I want us to hear what John the Baptist taught. And this is what they knew, but they hadn't experienced it yet. Listen to Matthew 3, verse um, 11. He says, as for me, this is John the Baptist speaking, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he, Jesus, who is coming after me is mightier than I. I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so they knew that. 
But they didn't know it had come yet. They didn't know Pentecost had happened, or at least the effects of Pentecost. And that now the Holy Spirit was indwelling in those who believe in Jesus. They didn't understand the cross. They didn't understand the resurrection. They didn't understand the Holy Spirit. And so here's the second question. Paul asked them this, and to what then were you baptized? Because they had received a baptism. They were baptized in water, but he's asking them, who did you identify with when you were baptized? What teaching were you believing when you were baptized? So significant. Their response was this. They say, into John the Baptist's baptism. And so what they were identified with? They were identified with John. They were identified with John and his teaching. So what does that mean? They had not yet believed in Christ as Savior. They had not experienced what we would call the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where when we believe, one is indwelled with the Spirit. And so listen to what Paul does in response to this. Look at verse 4. He tells them this. He says, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, meaning he called people to turn away from their sin and to follow the, the, the commands of God and to anticipate that God was going to send the Messiah and that he had Jesus who was going to take away the sin of the world. And to those who believe in him, they would have life. And so John pointed to that. John taught that. And so he tells them that. John baptized with the water of repentance, telling the people to believe in him and was coming after him. That is Jesus. And so there was this missing link that they had not believed in Jesus yet. And so listen to verse 5. When they heard this, the rest of the story, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in this moment, they believe. They believe in Christ. They're baptized in the name of Jesus as they now identify with him as Savior. They identify with the cross as the only way that they can be saved, that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God in him, meaning that we could be made right with God, not by anything that we have done, but because of the death of Jesus Christ. They realized the hope of that, the truth of that. They believed that, and they believed in the power of the resurrection, that Jesus, yes, he died on the cross, but on the third day he rose again to life. And that he overcame sin. He overcame the power of death. He overcame the enemy in what looked like a defeat. As we sung earlier, was a victory. It could be our victory as well. That death no longer is a sting to us. Death never has any longer an eternal impact on us. But instead, now we have life. Life eternal. Life abundantly. Life forever with Christ. And so they believed. And it says that they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So literally it means that they believed. They received the Holy Spirit. Then they were baptized physically into water because now they identified with Jesus. They had placed their trust in Jesus Christ. Our world today needs to hear what can change their lives. Many today in our world are climbing career ladders. They're looking for success, looking for wealth, looking at all these different things, looking for, for people, looking for, for stuff, material things to, to satisfy them, to, 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 to give them a future, to give them 
prosperity, to give them hope. But the only thing that will give them hope is the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit that comes through knowing Jesus Christ. And so the last point I want to close on this morning is simply this, is that we know the story. We know the rest of the story. We know the great truth. We know the hope of life. And so the church is to be witnesses of the gospel, witnesses of the power of the Holy Spirit. Two truths that we are to embody and to live out. And I want us to look back at this text real quick. I jumped a little ahead, and so I want to go back. Look at verse 6 and 7 real quick. Look what happens here. Got a little ahead of myself, but look at verse 6 and 7. It says, when Paul had laid his hands upon these disciples, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were in all about 12 men. And so you hear a verse like that, and sometimes we think, wow, this is a little interesting. It's a little different. It's not, not our normative today. It's not what's normal today. And so what happens here is after they trust that they're baptized, Paul prays for them. The Holy Spirit indwells them. And then all of a sudden, they begin to speak these different languages that they've never spoken before. They begin to prophesy, which means they start to boldly proclaim the truth of God like they had never done before. And so what is this? This is evidence of a changed life. This is the fruit of the Spirit in their life because now they have the Spirit of God living in them. Now, now two quick points on this, real simply, is don't take what you read here in verse verse 6 and 7 and base your uh, belief of how one receives the Holy Spirit um, on on just one verse. Because what happens many times in Acts isn't always the normal thing. So you read this in verse 6 and 7, this happened this way. But does that happen when you look at the whole counsel of God's word that way all the time that someone has to pray and lay hands on you for you to receive the Holy Spirit? No, no. And I think it's a good point for us to take with everything we read in Scripture that we have to take the whole counsel of God's word because what's happening in many different circles today, many different churches, that they will take one text here and one text here and one text here and use that to be their their source, their main source of interpretation to push a belief across that doesn't line up with the rest of the counsel of God's word. And so I think this is a great lesson here to say, hey, this happened this way? Yes, on this occasion, but is it the normal thing? No, no. We, we heard what the normal thing is. We looked at John and we looked at Romans. When one trusts in Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit. But the thing that you see here that I think is important is their life is changed. And there's evidence. There's evidence of the Spirit. That's what Paul experienced in Saul, and that's what Luke wrote about. It was evident. And so the question is us to ask this morning, is it evident in our lives that, that we have the Holy Spirit, that we've been changed? Is it evident? And how do we know that? Galatians 5, 25, it says, if we live by the Spirit, if we have the Spirit, if He's made us alive, and if we're living according to the Spirit, then let us walk by the Spirit. Meaning let the, the evidence be seen, let the fruit be seen. There will be fruit, there will be evidence. And simply put, that means we will obey God. We will walk according to his commands. And that's what was now present in their life. Their lives were changed. And so our world needs to know the only hope that can change their life. And we're the church that that are the witness of that. that We are to be the people that let them know this is what can change your life. 
And so look at real quick, look at verse 26 again, if you could. It says this, that a Priscilla and Aquila, they heard Apollos, they took him aside, they explained to him the way of God more accurately. You and I know many people that need to be pulled aside. And when I say pulled aside, it doesn't mean that you know, they don't do this in public and, and there's not a rebuke here, but they lovingly handle with gentleness Apollos. And they pull Apollos to the side. And in love, they share with him the truth of the cross, the truth of the resurrection. Things that, that he was missing, things that he was lacking, probably over a meal. But what did they do? They invested in Apollos. It takes time, yes. But you and I are called to do the same. And so who are the people in our life? Who is that one in your spheres of influence that God wants you to identify, that God wants you to begin praying for, that God wants you to, 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 to invest time in? I've, I've heard some stories just over the last couple of weeks of people beginning to pray for people, people even taking that step of investment, of, of taking time to, to relationally invest in someone to share the gospel with them. And listen to what, what happens. Not only does Priscilla and Aquila witness of the truth, but then Apollos begins to witness of the truth. Look at verse 27 to 28. When Apollos wanted to go across to Achaia, uh, to Corinth, it, it tells us that he went across. The church sent him off, and the disciples welcomed him. He, when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. He powerfully refuted the Jews in public. And so what do we know about Apollos? He went to Corinth. Paul had planted churches. And so Apollos went, and it says in 1 Corinthians, he went and watered. What is water? It, he helped grow and mature the believers. You see, everyone has a role. Everyone has a part in the church to be a part of sharing the truth, helping people grow up in the truth of God. And Apollos did that. He was the church. He was sent out immediately to go and help, by the grace of God, those who knew Christ, to help them grow. You and I are called to invest in people's lives at the church. And third and lastly, look at Paul. What did Paul do? Real simply in verse 1, what do we see him do? He passed through to Ephesus. He found some disciples of John. He, he found some that were missing the truth of the gospel, and he went and shared it with them. Simply put this morning, as a church... There is a city right outside these doors. Whether you're in Carrollton, where you're in Plano, Louisville, or you're in Farmer's Branch, or you're in the colony, you're in Flower Mound. There is a city that needs the church desperately to be the church. To be witnesses of the truth of the gospel. To be witnesses of the power of the Holy Spirit. They need to see the evidence of changed lives. And they need people like Priscilla and Aquila, people like Apollos, people like Paul. Some like Apollos, eloquent. Some like Paul, not so eloquent. But people who are led by the Spirit of God, who love people passionately and desperately want them to know the hope of the gospel. Ephesus needed it. Our cities need it. How are they going to hear? 
How are they going to know that there's a Holy Spirit? How are they going to know about the cross? How are they going to know about the resurrection? God's plan is us. It's us. The question is, are we willing to say, here I am. Here I am. You know, often that's how I see Sunday morning. I see Sunday morning as as really a time to, to gather the troops, to rally the troops together, to be encouraged, but to be challenged. With what goal in mind? That we would be sent back out. Not to say, check, church is done. No. But to say, okay, I'm now to go and live as the church and to be the hope in a world that is hopeless. Be hope in a world that is dying. And let them know where true life is found, where true hope is found, and the power of the cross, and the power of the resurrection in Jesus Christ, and that your life can be changed. And so church, let's be those people. Let's be the Apollos. Let's be the Priscilla. Let's be the Aquila. Let's be the Paul. The city needs it. Let's pray. As we pray this morning, and it'd be a mist to not mention that maybe there's, there's someone here today and, and maybe there are parts of the story missing. Maybe, maybe you're just kicking the tires of Christianity and and you know about Jesus, and you know some truth, but, but maybe there's never been that, that life-changing moment where you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so maybe you're here this morning, and you're like, man, I, I've, I've never trusted in Christ. I've never received the Holy Spirit. I, I, I'm there. I'm there. Well, I love what Paul says. He, he invites them to believe. And so simply this morning, I, I want to invite you to believe, to believe in Jesus the Bible tells us as, as a Savior, that He is your Savior, that, that He died for you, and that you're trusting and believing in His death on the cross to save you and to forgive you of your sins. Not trusting in anything else but Him alone. And that the power of His resurrection, that He has overcome sin and overcome the penalty of sin, which is death for you, and that He gives eternal life to you freely. Not by what you do, not, not by living a certain way, but simply by trusting in him. And he will change your life and the presence of the Holy Spirit will radically change you to where you begin to desire the things of God and to live like him. And so maybe you're here today, you've never believed in Christ. I want to invite you, believe in Jesus this morning. Just like these in Ephesus did. Believe in Christ. 